0: Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil, oil that runs smart. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA today, and it is shaping up to be another volatile day in the outside markets. If you've been plugged into the world of financial news, you've seen likely that there is another bank teetering on the precipice of collapse. And this is a big one. Credit Suisse over in Europe looks as though it is headed down the tubes, so though they are working to try and res- rescue that bank. It is putting pressure on the equity markets. We're seeing it filter through the rest of the financial trade. And later on in today's program, we'll have Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist from Stonexon, to bring it back home for us. What does it mean? for our bottom lines here on the farm. Before we do that, however, we are going to be checking with Carrie Sifrath, Vice President of the U.S. Grains Council here in Segment 2. Their annual report was just out. It was a banner year for U.S. grain exports in 2022. We're going to carry to recap the successes of this last year and also look ahead to what is coming in 2023. And we're going to talk about how some of these states are working to ensure their drivers have freedom to fuel their cars more affordably and with help from Biofuel. Doing that first, we're going to talk with Amanda Billick. She's the Senior Public Policy Director with the Minnesota Corn Growers, and the state of Minnesota is on track, or at least they're under discussion right now, to bring a clean transportation standard into law. Amanda, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Well, thank you for having me.
0: Let's talk about this Minnesota Clean Transportation Standard. Amanda, Minnesota is one of those eight states looking to, to broaden access to biofuels, but this bill might not be all that it's cracked up to be. Can you give us the details? What does this bill, as it currently stands, bring to the table?
1: Yeah, so the proposal that is currently on the table is to establish this clean fuel transportation standard. It's similar to policies that have been adopted in California, washington and oregon uh, referred to as a low carbon fuel standard so this would try to uh, decrease the carbon intensity of all transportation fuels used in minnesota over time the bill actually calls for some pretty aggressive reductions in carbon intensity uh, until 2050 and of course biofuels could be a source of providing those lower carbon transportation fuels, but the devil truly is in the details when it comes to a complicated and multifaceted program such as this.
0: Well, that's so true. And when we think about Minnesota's participation in the biofuel space, they're clearly a leader in that industry. And Amanda, I understand last year, drivers in Minnesota did get access to E15 like they did around the rest of the country, and they responded well in your state, didn't they?
1: They did. We're very proud of the work that Minnesota has been doing and the role that the corn growers have been playing in helping to advance higher blends of ethanol. Last year, uh, Minnesota surpassed over 100 million gallons of E15 sales. Uh, We have the highest uh, ethanol blend rate in the country at nearly 12.7 percent, and that's also due to the amount of retail locations that we have that carry E85. uh, That really helps to push up our blend rate.
0: It certainly does. So now this clean transportation standard is in the works. And as you mentioned, Amanda, the devil is in the details. There have been claims that this current transportation standard as written favors electrical vehicles. Can you talk to us about how it might be doing that?
1: Sure. So with a clean transportation standard, the way that you sort of demonstrate compliance is through a system of credits. So if you are an oil producer, you are generating deficits because likely you're producing fuel that uh, exceeds the uh, line for uh, higher intensity fuels, but then credit generators, such as biofuels, can generate those credits that then the deficits kind of balance out at the end of each uh, calendar year. But the challenge within this current proposal, the way the bill is written, um, there are certain technologies that are prohibited from generating some of those credits. And one of the areas that prohibits the generation of credits is the production of biofuels from feedstock that is grown on croplands with fewer than five consecutive years of cropping history. And so this is, we think, their attempt at trying to further penalize biofuels under the guise of the theory of indirect land use change uh, by limiting some of those feedstocks that could qualify. Uh, One good aspect of the bill is that it does propose to use the GREET model of Aragon National Laboratory for scoring and evaluating all transportation fuels, and actually the uh, GREET model does have a slight penalty for indirect land use change already included. But the worry is is that this could be adapted specifically for Minnesota, and you could see an even more of an increased penalty for biofuels, and potentially an increased uh, penalty using indirect land use change scoring.
0: All right. So hopefully we can get that sorted out there in the legislature. Amanda, where does this bill sit in the legislature right now? How much time do we have to try and get these details worked out?
1: Yeah, so time is uh, really starting to run out. In Minnesota, we use a series of committee deadlines that provide uh, trying to winnow the number of topics that are going to be considered in the remaining Uh, six weeks or two months of the legislative session so the bill did receive uh, one hearing in the senate it's been introduced over in the house there has been no hearing yet in the house of representatives we hear that the bill over in the senate will be heard in its second committee uh, next week but because this bill also touches on several agencies it's not just the department of agriculture it's also our pollution control agency department of natural resources There's a prevailing wage provision uh, that would send it to labor so there's several committee stuff that need to happen in the next couple of weeks if this bill is going to be further considered but we've actually been working with uh, governor walls and the governor's office in proposing that perhaps what we should do is take the summer in the interim between legislative sessions and really try and work out some of the details for this bill so that we truly could have something that is technology and feedstock neutral. It's a very strong principle that we support at the corn growers as well as with several of our biofuel partners for a policy such as
2: this.
0: All right, so does it sound like that is a possibility in the conversations with the governor to to sort of punt on this until we've got the details squared away? We
1: do think that's a possibility and the governor's supplemental budget, which will be um, made public on Thursday, we anticipate will include uh, some language and some funding uh, to be able to do some work on this over the summer, uh, as well as potentially with an economic impact study to really get a sense of of what are uh, some of the the costs and some of the benefits that could could, uh, be brought to Minnesota's economy through a policy like this.
0: All right, costs and benefits need to be weighed. Amanda, while we've got you on the line, is there any news in Minnesota for E15 availability this summer? Is that something Minnesota Corn is still working
3: on?
1: That is something we are still working on. Uh, We um, are working, of course, with our national partners on a couple different pathways to be able to do that. One would be emergency waivers through the administration, as was done last summer to get us through that 2022 driving season. Uh, There was also just legislation introduced in the Senate and the House yesterday uh, that would provide that congressional fix uh, for year-round E15 permanent availability, uh, actually nationwide. And then there was a petition that was submitted by the governors of uh, nine Midwestern states uh, to really opt out of the one-pound waiver program that would at least provide E15 in those states that petitioned EPA.
0: Hopefully we'll see some action on those petitions here shortly, folks. We were speaking with Amanda Billick. She's the Senior Public Policy Advisor with the Minnesota Corn Growers Association. To keep up to date on their work, visit mncorn.org. Amanda, thanks for joining us today. And folks, stay here. Carrie Sifirath of the U.S. Brains Council will join us when AOA returns. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform.
4: I think farming picked me. I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With Channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come.
5: Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and
1: follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights
5: reserved.
0: Join us every Tuesday for Round the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more.
3: What a great organization. Helping
0: families in need like ours, it's a godsend. When an unexpected crisis strikes, Farm Rescue is here to help. Assistance is available free of charge to farm families experiencing a major injury, illness, or natural disaster. Our volunteers and equipment are ready to spring into action with planting, haying, and harvest support. If you or someone you know could use a helping hand, visit farmrescue.org today.
5: Welcome to the 2023 corn sprint. Corn is in the blocks and ready to run. Biopath and Power Coat plants with a strong start to take the lead. Fueled by Mosaic Biological Fertilizer Complements for maximum performance and better nutrient uptake. We're seeing a strong return on fertilizer investment in this sprint. Biopath and Power Coat corn just continue to grow ahead. Improve your corn's nutrient use with Mosaic Biologicals. For corn that stays on track in the sprint, start training at CornSprint.com.
0: Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on
6: AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson.
0: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. AOA continues here today, taking a look at agriculture, not just here in the United States, but agriculture globally. And some of the folks that are most plugged into the world of agriculture around the globe are our friends at the U.S. Grains Council. They were very active at Commodity Classic last week, talking to growers, and they released their annual report for 2022. A number of successes for U.S. grain exporters in that year. Joining us now for an update on last year and the look ahead to what's coming in 2023 is U.S. Grains Council Vice President Kerry Sifrat. Kerry, thanks for joining us today.
7: Oh, thank you, Mike, and good morning to you.
0: Good morning, indeed, Kerry. Let's talk first about commodity classic. You had the team down there working with rowers. What was the uh, what were the general sense of the conversations down there in Orlando for the U.S. Grains Council?
7: Uh, well, I think they had record attendance at this year's uh, commodity classic, and you know, gave us a great chance to meet with uh, old friends and, and, may, and members and, and, and farmers and producers that are very active in the U.S. Grain Council, as well as. You know hundreds if not thousands of other uh, farmers who attend that to don't really understand or know what the US Grain Council does so for us to share our story and, and talk about some of the successes we've had in 2022 um, in promoting, uh, you know, US corn, barley, sorghum, and their various co-product exports around the world.
0: And let's dive into that, Kerry, because 2022 w- was kind of a banner year. And I'd like to start with some of those crops that we don't always focus on here on AOA. We talk a lot about <laughs> corn and soybeans. But you guys, as you mentioned, work with barley, sorghum, DDGs, ethanol. Let's start here in the yep. world of barley. Kerry, I understand we've seen U.S. barley make headways in China. Can you talk about that a
7: little bit? Um, yeah, we've uh, it, and China has a huge, uh, uh, maybe the largest uh, beer uh, consumption in the world um and so we've uh, but, but uh, we've started working with some of the microbrewers in china that are looking for specific uh, even kind of specialty malts uh, that some of the malting companies and even some of the micro uh micro maltsters that are are making uh, specialty type malts for the micro brewing industry here in the u.s um, and, and introducing them to china importers and buyers and so we've started to see some u.s malt Be trading into that China market that it's allowing us uh, to uh, to uh, get at least some of U.S. malt barley malt into that China market.
0: That is really, really cool to see American expertise in barley production moving over to China. Hopefully U.S. growers capturing some of the premium. And Kerry, when we think about the connections between the exporters here in the United States and the importers in these foreign countries, getting those two groups together is crucial for making sure these trade deals happen. And I understand the U.S. Grains Council had a very successful export exchange in 2022. Can you tell us about how that works and, and what all got accomplished?
7: Yeah, we we do our export exchange every other year. Um, And so we had our, uh, you know, in uh, October of 2022, um, and it was the first time with COVID, it was the first time we had it since 2018. Um, And just uh, a great success with buyers coming from, I think, around 51 different countries. Uh, We had, uh, I think, 21 different groups that traveled, um, would have come into the U.S. before export exchange or traveled within the U.S., after it to not so not only attending the the conference um that had you know the latest on what's going on uh, supply and demand side of, of things transportation and other issues but has uh we have a whole trade show of of US exporters and originators of of, of corn, DDGS, sorghum um <clears throat> even some even barley and and then to be able to bring that you know we have over 350 um, people attending uh, jointly with about 250 of those being international buyers and the other being US uh, suppliers and even some farmer members Uh, and then those groups being able to either before or after the conference actually go out into uh, the various Midwest states and and see production happening Uh, since it's October was October a lot of chances for people to ride in the combines in our and some of our member fields Uh, and even seeing the logistics of how corn um, and other grains and DDGS product moves from the production site into the export uh, channels.
0: And they were here, of course, not just for the conference, but Carrie, I understand they came with checkbooks open, right? These were folks coming in looking to secure some sales of U.S. products at the
7: exchange. Correct. Correct. We did a, just over $225 million worth of sales at the conference itself, and we know a lot of those uh, have been uh, repeat buyers. And so, um you know that that business continues uh on into the future and so not you know not just the 225 million dollars of sales uh during the conference but uh, to continue that uh going forward
0: gary let's talk about ddgs that's a place we've seen a lot of excitement around the world folks looking for that high protein option how did sales look in 2022 and and how are they looking here as we get ready for 23.
7: well it's it's uh i mean it's it's not brand new, but it's we're starting to see more uh, ethanol plants putting in the the needed re- equipment that's uh, That's bringing out these high pro um, high protein the DDGS or some people are or have what we call corn fermented protein products um, That have some of the yeast added back into the higher protein levels and so as the as the production of that uh, continues to grow uh, we also see continued um, interest in those in the in the international markets Um, a lot of interest in the aquaculture industry around the world in those products and so our southeast asia market um, is doing a lot of work into vietnam thailand indonesia um, which are already pretty good ddgs markets and seeing uh, in increasing interest in some of these high protein or corn fermented protein products Uh, but even into mexico and ecuador and other places where we see aquaculture um, industry is expanding and, and looking um, to uh, supplement uh, a lot of them are using soybean meal already and wanting to uh, uh, put in those corn co-products as well um, so we're not necessarily replacing soybean meal but adding corn protein products to that as a way of uh, removing uh, the fish meal and the fish oils out of those um, aquaculture diets it one in part because they're expensive and growing and expensive too lot of movement away from what's considered not sustainable um, feeding uh, aquaculture uh, with fish meal and fish oil so uh, being able to take advantage that kind of movement around the globe and having these new corn fermented protein and high-pro DDGS products fit into that niche
0: yeah, that is fantastic to be able to see that. While we're on the topic here of, of DDGs, you mentioned ethanol plants continuing to grow. We've seen the focus on ethanol exports continue to climb. Kerry, how was 2022 from an ethanol perspective in the uh, international trade scene?
7: Yeah, it's, uh, and it, we, you know, Canada continues to be our largest market and was uh, the last marketing year. And even uh, in the first uh, few months of this current marketing year, continues to be our number one market. Um, working very closely with the ethanol industry there in Canada, as well as the importers and blenders there, um, and Canada continues to look to expand uh, their ethanol use. Um, as we have province by province, even making adjustments uh, and increasing their their uh, blend requirements, and so we really continue to see Canada not as not just as a current good customer of ethanol, but a growing future customer of U.S. ethanol. Um, And then we've done a lot of work in Japan uh, here recently. Japan, um, three and a half years, four years ago, was buying zero U.S. ethanol. um, And Japan actually imports ETBE, where you're taking ethanol and replacing the methanol into MTBE. um, But their requirements said that all of that had to be be made from Brazilian ethanol. And so we were shipping Brazilian ethanol to Houston to make ETBE to then go to Japan. And we worked very hard hard with our, our office there on the ground in Japan, um, and originally got U.S. U.S. ethanol to be at least up to 40% cap of that ETBE that was made and then shipped to Japan. Um, we continued to work and, and increase that ceiling level to a 66 market share cap, um, and we're and Japan is in the process of working on their energy policy for the next five years and. Um, having discussions with both the industry and the Japanese government. And um, <clears throat> we'll know here soon, probably around the 1st of April, um, but looks like we should be able to see the U.S. have 100% market share. It doesn't guarantee us that, but allows U.S. ethanol to make up 100% of the ETBE going into Japan. And so right now, Japan is about a about 120 million gallon market through ETBE on, a, on, a, on an annual basis. And if we're able to move to that 100%, we'll probably see Japan move up to a 200 to 210 million gallon market, which, you know, three, three and a half years ago was zero for us. So it's a great success story to see how Green Council work and are working with our members to open up those kind of markets like that in Japan.
0: Absolutely. Those boots on the ground make a difference when they're out there promoting the values of American products. Folks, we have been talking with Kerry Sifrath, Vice President of the U.S. Grains Council. To get the full details from their annual report, you can find it at their website, grains.org. Stay with us here on AOA. When we return, Arlen Suderman of Stonex will be joining us to we'll take a look at these volatile markets. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, Powered to perform.
5: There are a ton of social networking websites, but one stands apart for a very special reason. This one saves lives. It's MatchingDonors.com. MatchingDonors.com links organ donors with people in need of kidney and other transplants. In the U.S., 22 people die each day waiting for an organ transplant, most of them for kidneys. If you've ever considered becoming a living organ donor or if you're someone in need of an organ transplant, visit MatchingDonors.com, home of the greatest gift of all, the gift of life. MatchingDonors.com.
8: You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, as we look at this market trade here on Wednesday, another big corn sale announced to China early in the day. That is two days straight of over 600,000 metric tons, giving us a two-day total. Over 1 million metric tons of corn sold to China for the 22-23 marketing year. And one has to think these are the rumored sales we heard about to begin the month of March. But it appears that China is in need of corn, and the U.S. is the game in town with Brazil busy shipping soybeans, and you see trouble with getting grain out of Ukraine, U.S. corn becoming competitive on the world market, and therefore... We're seeing more export sales activity pick up. Now, the corn market largely took the news, uh, traded a little bit higher, and is now pulled back near unchanged. Soy complex under some pressure. Beans, bean meal, bean oil all down moderately. Wheat markets are relatively quiet and mixed here as we work through the trade. U.S. dollar index taking a look at that, up 123 basis points, 104.45, so surging there. With the Dow Jones down over 400, almost 450 points lower. Crude oil under some heavy pressure as well here today down a little over 2%, breaking below $70 a barrel, now 6909 at last check. So some weakness in these outside markets. We saw the producer price index come in colder than expected as we saw the PPI numbers on Wednesday morning contract 0.1% month-on-month in February. That was far different than the 0.3% growth expected by analysts and a marked difference from the 0.7% growth seen the previous month. The PPI rose 4.6% year-on-year in February down from 6% last month. Livestock trade under some moderate pressure led lower by hogs here as we work through the morning. Traders are just seeing Seemingly very cautious throughout this entire protein sector. Overall, fairly quiet markets on Wednesday. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen.
6: Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute.
4: Hey, honey,
8: why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved
7: one, Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org/caregiving. That's aarp.org/caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ed Council.
0: Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil, oil that runs smart.
6: Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back,
0: ladies and gentlemen, to AOA Today. You know, no matter where you look in the financial industry right now, there are folks screaming catastrophe. And frankly, from my perspective, it's tough to separate the noise from the signal here. And I'm really glad for our next segment. Joining us now is Arlen Suderman. He's the chief commodities economist with Stonex. And Arlen, thanks for joining us today.
3: Hey, it's great to be back with you again, Mike. Uh, these are interesting times, and uh, certainly I think we need to add some perspective.
0: Let's do that. Arlen, help us separate the wheat from the chaff here on this banking weakness, SVB, credit suisse. How much do we as commodity producers need to be plugged in to this issue happening in the broader markets?
3: Well, we need to because it creates the environment through which the fund managers who are so dominant in our commodity markets interpret supply and demand fundamentals. Or say it another way, it colors the filter through which they view the supply and demand fundamentals and can therefore impact at what price level they manage supply and demand. Um, perception is reality in the markets, and you can talk facts all you want, but perception overrules facts at some times. Um, so Silicon Valley Bank um, went under over the weekend uh, along with a smaller bank. We've had, I think it's 511 bank failures in the United States since 2009, but Silicon Valley Bank was the biggest since 2008. That's why it caught a lot of people's attention. Now there's a lot of doomsdayers ready to jump on the bandwagon and say, see, this is because of the rate hikes that was happened. And that certainly may have contributed to it. That doesn't mean it was the cause of it. It may have been mismanagement or not hedging properly those interest rates, uh, which only makes sense to do so uh, to protect themselves. Or there could be other things you could look at as well. The question is whether there were mistakes made or not made, is is this the only bank are there other banks with problems and I'm sure the Federal Reserve is working hard to assess the regional banks right now to see what their credit um, risk is what the levels of risk are with them and see how much more rate hikes they can handle now they're between a little bit of a rock and a hard place right now because if they pause or reverse their rate hikes too soon they themselves have said that's the problem we got into back in the 1970s when they started seeing some pain in the economy, some problems, and so they pulled back too soon from their rate hikes, and then inflation just really took off, and that's when Paul Volcker had to say, okay, we're going to bring it to a halt and took interest rates up toward 20%. They don't want to make that mistake again, but Even if this is caused sometimes by bank problems, not properly managing things, expecting us to always have zero interest rates, so to speak, um, that's still a reality they have to manage. And so they're going to have to walk this line very carefully. I think there's going to be a lot hinging on next week's Federal Reserve meeting, Um, the statements that they make, the press conference afterwards the dot plot graphic which shows where they think the individual members think that interest rates are going to be at the end of this year. I was just looking at Fed Fund Futures, and this is what the market is saying that the Fed is going to do. And as I give you these numbers, mind you that the market's been wrong for the past year. I hear so many experts saying, well, the the market knows, the market knows, but it's been wrong for the last year on predicting what the Fed's going to do. A week ago, it was putting nearly 80% odds on a 50 basis point rate hike at next week's meeting, and that's because of all the inflation data and economic data that was coming in hotter than expected. And uh, Ben, not Ben Bernanke, uh, uh, Jerome Powell, who's chairman of the Federal Reserve, his testimony before Congress about the possibility of getting more aggressive trying to get a handle on inflation. So a week ago, it was nearly 80% odds of a 50 basis point rate hike. Today, it's 50-50, 50-50 chance that there will be any rate hike at all, and in fact, a calling for rate cuts by June and by the end of the year, seeing rates that are a full percentage point or 100 basis points below where they are now. That's what the market is saying. If, in fact, they do that, that may ease the problems from some of these regional banks but create more problems with inflation, which will create even more pain down the road. So they've got to walk a very fine line here in what they do and what they communicate next week.
0: And Arlen, thinking about that Fed funds rate in the discussion, will they hike, won't they hike, taking a look at the currency markets, dollar traders certainly look as though they believe the Fed is going to hike rates next week. Is that why we're seeing such strength in the U.S. dollar today?
3: Yeah, the dollar is is trading something totally different. It's trading expectations were going to be hawkish. And part of that is because this problem with Credit Suisse is is focused on the European banking system. So prior to yesterday, we were seeing a break in the dollar uh, because basically the currency markets are going to reflect whichever central bank that the markets perceive to be the most hawkish. And so with the Credit Suisse problems now, um, the expectation is is that the European Central Bank next week is going to pull back more than the Federal Reserve. So even though the market expects the Federal Reserve to start pulling back rates and to the pivot, they're expecting a larger pivot from the European Central Bank. So therefore, a, a, a dovish position can be considered to be more hawkish, than the other banks, so to speak, and so therefore people are coming back to the relative safety of the dollar, so to speak, and buying it. We're seeing that, uh, and we should say that that creates a lot of headwinds for the commodities. And as a result, the grain and oil seeds are actually holding relatively well with that strong dollar that we're seeing today, up about 110, 120 basis points. Um, But crude oil is taking a real hit, and that creates some headwinds for the grain and oil seeds. Crude oil has been holding key support near around the $72 area, West Texas Intermediate now for several months, and it's broken below that and is trading in the $68 range today. So that creates even more downside risk for that market um, going forward, and so that does Has some negative implications for the grain and oil seeds, even though they are trying to hold up today.
0: They're trying, but Arlen, as you mentioned, that strength in the dollar is quite a headwind. We've currently got old and new crop beans down 10 to 12 cents here. From a technical perspective, in this old crop bean market, now that we're sub 14, or excuse me, sub 15 dollars rather on the board, what are some levels you're watching where the market could try to find some support?
3: Well, this market, if you look at the May soybean chart, which is the lead contract for the old crop right now, it's looking very top-heavy. And with the funds, we believe hold big ownership in this market, but it's really hard to tell because we haven't had an up-to-date CFTC report now for almost six weeks. Um, the key support that really needs to hold is the low that we put in at the end of february february twenty eighth which was fourteen seventy seven and three quarters and that 's just three cents below where we 're trading right now. Um, so if we break below that, the market will be probing to see if there are sell stops below that it wouldn 't surprise me at all. And if that happens, we could be facing some real problems in the soybean market. And fundamentally, what they're looking at is the soy meal market had been really driving soybeans higher. Soy meal tends to rally whenever we have a drought in Argentina. And it broke key support yesterday, and it is plummeting now um, and down about $6 or so. Um, and the the charts are are looking much weaker now. And that's basically because even though Argentina has a major drought and probably end up producing half of a normal crop this year, South America as a whole has plenty of soybeans because of the massive crop in Brazil. And the market's starting to realize that even though we have a drought in Argentina, that may not affect demand for U.S. soy meal uh, very much at all. And so with the big fund ownership there, uh, they're starting to get nervous and starting to liquidate, liquidate their positions.
0: Arlen, thinking about that meal markets architecture here, we saw an incredible rally in bean meal as that Argentinian drought intensified at end of November, early December 2022. And I think we put about 50 bucks on that market in a week. Is there the potential that the downside could move just as quick if these big funds all try to rush to the exits at once?
3: Yeah, they say these markets, you know, with the funds, will take the escalator up and take the elevator down. In other words, they can drop a lot faster than what they go up, and that's been a concern of mine for some time. Now, I have to admit that I've been wrong for several months because I didn't think front-month soybeans would trade above $15, and they have done so since late December. Um, haven't been above $15 the whole time, but they've spent quite a bit of time above $15. But now we're back below $15 once again. Um, and uh, it's going it's to take a reversal of the news, so to speak, evidence that the Argentine drought is actually having a notable positive impact on U.S. soy meal demand uh, to turn this momentum around.
0: Arlen, any issues so far on bean exports coming out of Brazil?
3: Uh, No, there really haven't been. One of the things you have to watch with heavy rains is they have trouble loading at the ports, but so far everything we're seeing is the indications that uh, they're they're loading ships just fine. They're moving the beans out, they're moving forward, and no real problems there. Uh, The positive story for us has been 50 million bushels of corn that we've sold to China here over the last few days.
0: That is a piece of good news, and we are seeing some strength in the corn market. Folks, we have been talking with Arlen Suderman. He's the chief commodities economist with Stonex. And Arlen, as always, thanks for joining us today.
3: Thank you, Mike.
0: And folks, stick around. When AOA returns, we've got more news from the world of agriculture. Stay right here. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart.
1: Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media.
0: Like, like, dislike.
1: recommendations to help boost your retirement savings they're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle it's quick easy and free plus it's brought to you by AARP so you know they got your back you are a genius take charge of your retirement go to aceretirement.org now that's aceretirement.org. a message from AARP and the Ad Council vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life.
6: So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early.
1: My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes,
4: and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked.
1: Visit brightfocus.org to learn more.
2: Did you know that pork is the world's most consumed meat? Pork comprises over one-third of all meat consumed. Pigs were domesticated over 9,000 years ago in 7,000 B.C., and there are more than 180 species of pigs. Why pork? Well, it's not just because everybody loves bacon. Historically speaking, pork is a very easy meat to preserve via smoking, curing, or salting. Not only could it keep well before refrigeration, but it also tastes great under various preservation tactics and adaptable to a variety of flavors, spices, and dishes across different Cultures and regions. There are twice as many pigs as there are people in Denmark. Did you also know that China is the world's lead pork producer? In 2020, they produced an impressive 41.13 million metric tons of the meat, which equates to almost 91 billion pounds. So the next time you dive into that plate of bacon, know that pork is the world's most consumed meat. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network.
6: Over 2.8 million Americans have served in our military since 9-11. Many have returned home with devastating injuries and few resources for them and their families. This is news correspondent Bob Woodruff. I sustained a life-threatening injury while reporting from Iraq in 2006. The military had my back that day, and they have each other's while serving. It's time we had theirs. Please join us as part of the Got Your Six initiative. To learn more, go to gotyoursix.org using the number six.
0: Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike
6: Pearson. Welcome back,
0: ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. On yesterday's broadcast, we talked with Dr. Paul Sumner. From the swine Health Information Center about the spread of swine diseases globally. We touched on African swine fever and the recent outbreaks they've seen across Eastern Europe and in Southeast Asia. We talked about foot and mouth disease and the challenges they've seen with that in Southeast Asia as well. One topic that didn't come up with our discussion uh, with Paul was African swine fever in the country of China. Now, China, of course, reports things differently. Most of their farmers do not report any cases to the government. So we do not have a very good idea of the total number of infected hogs or farms across China. However, we do have anecdotal information. We do have stories of the managers who work at these hog facilities, and we have the ability to piece that together to try and get a sense of what's developing in China and the situation in their hog industry, according to Reuters, is not Good. Uh, March has been a tough time for African swine fever in that country. They would note that infections began to surge relatively late in the season. The Chinese uh, hog producers point to that Lunar New Year holiday is the time they started to see um, more African swine fever cases break out across China. And uh, several analysts at a securities company in China said, quote, data from swine fever virus testing companies show that the number of positive detections exploded after the New Year holiday. The order of magnitude in a single month has reached the level of the whole year in 2022. The northern area of China is where most of the modern hog production is concentrated. And uh, this same Huasheng Securities said in their report that they estimate the current swine fever infection area in those northern production provinces may be reaching 50%. We've seen China step back into the U.S. pork industry here in recent months. Could they have been planning ahead for a surge of infections? We'll see. But track that market as we get deeper into the summer, of course, as these hogs are cold across the countryside. uh, We would expect to see a drop in their pork production and perhaps If their economy can stay strong now that they've revoked most of their zero COVID rules, we could see an uptick in U.S. meat sales over to China if the data coming out of that country is accurate. Of course, we won't know until the dollars change hands and we see them start purchasing. But we've got good news for purchasers of protein here in the United States. We're starting to see some meat purchase business come back. Of course, inflation is still a concern and across 2020, well, year over year, from February 2023 back to February of 2022, all food inflation totaled 11.2%. The good news is that's starting to come down. For the month of March, the food inflation rate was nine and a half percent, so sub 11, which is where we were for the better part of this past year. And this is actually the lowest rate of food price inflation we've seen since April of 2022. That was the last time that data was down below 10%. Uh, They did note that uh, prices for meats, fish, poultry, and eggs fell by 0.1% during February. And that is, folks, the first Decrease in the cost index since December of 2021. So just uh Just about 14 months it's taken to see any prices to the downside there in those categories of proteins, animal proteins, across the market. Now, we do have some other news taking place in the food sector. This is on the poultry side of the ledger. Tyson Foods has announced they are closing two different plants. They're going to be shuttering one in Arkansas and a plant in Virginia. Uh, Together, these plants employ about 1,600 people. Tyson does say that making the decision to close these plants were not easy, but quote, they reflect Tyson's broader strategy to strengthen our poultry business by optimizing operations and utilizing the full available capacity at each plant. Effectively, what Tyson is saying uh, is that they are going to cut production at these two facilities. They're going to ramp up production at other nearby facilities. Tonnage throughput expected to stay the same. However, uh, they will not be taking place at those plants. Uh, The union of the workers said it was disappointed in the decision. They say they were, quote, appalled by today's news and the terrible impact it will have on close to our 700 union members. And that's UFCW Local 400 issuing that response. As we discussed yesterday, well, and as we discussed earlier today with Amanda Billick from Minnesota Corn, we've got legislation pending in Washington, D.C. to push E-15 approval ahead to this year. Of course, uh, a lot of us remember we covered on this program two, three weeks ago, EPA made an announcement that they are going to put a framework in place to allow E-15 sales year-round. That would include the summer months where E-15 is currently limited, and uh, they're going to put this program into place by 2024. Now, the biofuel industry is excited to see the EPA making a move to allow year-round E15, but frustrated by the fact that they are holding off again until 2024. To get around that, several senators introduced legislation yesterday that would allow E15 sales nationwide, and they're shooting to get those sales allowed for the 2023 driving season that gets started on June 1st. Now, the names behind this bill certainly are not, uh, not unfamiliar to folks who back agriculture. Senator Deb Fisher is the Republican co-sponsor and Senator Amy Klobuchar of Minnesota, uh, Deb Fisher of Nebraska, Amy Klobuchar, Democrat of Minnesota. Uh, they are the two members of the Senate Ag Committee who have floated this piece of legislation. They're calling it the Consumer and Fuel Retailer Choice Act. Now, this would supersede EPA decisions, and it would also put aside several uh, of the court cases of states that are suing to allow E 15 sales if this were to be passed right away. Now, it's worth noting that a similar bill was introduced last November, um, again by uh, Deb Fisher in the Senate, and it was introduced in the House by Angie Craig, Democrat of Minnesota. Uh, That one didn't quite have traction to get across the finish line ahead of the end of the 117th Congress. The senators are hoping that this piece of legislation here this week will have more opportunity to get things done. Now, as we look around the world of agriculture, we are going to be coming back, I'm afraid, again and again to this topic of PFAS. We spoke about it just briefly yesterday. PFAS, these forever chemicals that are now being regulated by the EPA. They're going to impact agriculture. We'll cover them more here on AOA and tune in tomorrow. We'll talk ethanol in greater depth. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you then. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Pride, it runs deep for those in agriculture, but that pride can also prevent farmers from asking for help when it's needed most. An injury, illness, or natural disaster is a heavy burden for any operation to bear. Farm Rescue is here to help shoulder that burden. We are a nonprofit organization helping farm families in crisis with free planting, haying and harvesting assistance. There is no pride lost when it comes to Farm Rescue. Learn more at farmrescue.org.
5: Welcome to the 2023 corn sprint. Corn is in the blocks and ready to run. Biopath and Power Coat plants with a strong start to take the lead. Fueled by Mosaic Biological Fertilizer Complements for maximum performance and better nutrient uptake. We're seeing a strong return on fertilizer investment in this sprint. Biopath and Power Coat corn just continue to grow ahead. Improve your corn's nutrient use with Mosaic Biologicals. For corn that stays on track in the sprint, start training at CornSprint.com.
6: we can make a difference bite by bite.